God is holy all the time, and He expects His people to be holy throughout life as well. In Genesis 9, Noah and his family leave the ark to continue life on earth. But Noah finds himself drunk and naked and ends up cursing the lineage of one of his sons. And in this, we are reminded of how easily we can fall into sin when we do things that affect our guard. When we let our guard down against sin and things which are crouching at the door to come and consume us, it is easy to fall into that trap. So welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and here with me in the studio is... Pastor Anthony Alegria. And, all right, so today we're going to be talking about Genesis 9, this story where Noah is drunk and naked and his sons come and lay a towel or something over him. And if you've ever read this, you've probably been caught off guard by this crazy incident which happens in Genesis. It is something which is a bit of a mishap, but you read it and you say, does this merit cursing some of one's own children? The story is striking in a lot of ways, and it leaves us with some crazy questions in our minds. Anthony, do you have any opening thoughts on this story before we actually read it and get too far into it? Um, I would say, I, I don't want to say too much and give spoilers, but I guess everybody's familiar with it anyways. So um, I would say that the curse that Noah gives on the son who saw him naked was pretty extreme. And oh, yeah, I have thought about that. I have thought about that reaction through my childhood, just like dang. Oh yeah, it's is extreme. And and if you even I have read through Genesis, this may be one of those things which is kind of blotted out of your mind. It's so it seems out of character. But again, the same species that went into the ark is the same species that comes out of the ark. So without any further hesitation, Anthony, would you read this for us? And it starts in Genesis chapter nine, verses eight, and goes to the end of the chapter. So would you read beginning in verse eight of chapter nine and carry us out? The sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was peopled. Noah, a man of the soil, was, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank some of the wine and became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers outside. Then Sham and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be Blessed by the Lord, my God be Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. May God make space for Japheth, and let him live in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. All right, as we read through this, one has to keep up their character. We've been talking a lot about that at the various Bible discussions we've had here at Kingdom of the Logos. The whole deal with Cain, he doesn't keep up his character, he devolves into, well, a really bad state. Even when you get to Noah, humanity had been so wrought with sin that all of their characters fallen badly. Well, as we come to read this story, we too have to keep up our character, because as you read this, there is a lot of room for comedy, and there's some stuff that we've just got to talk about. I was even reading through a Bible commentary on this. It was actually the Interpreter's Bible commentary, the old, the gray set, if you're familiar with those. And in it, it actually had the sentence which said, Noah is presented as pleading with Delawd, spelled D-E-L-A-W-D. We have picture proof to show it to you. I mean, this is the story which turns scholars into writing sentences like Delawd in there. 
the Lord was pleading. It's like, what? What's going on? Where did they get like the Southern accent? Somebody was just really craving to have that anywhere. So let's get to this. The story is filled with overreactions and underreactions. You go to the story with Noah's shame and his drunkenness and nakedness. There's overreactions. And as you read from the curse, it seems like well, that's a pretty big overreaction that you have there, Noah. And then there's also some underreactions as well. And stuff is just all over the place. But the main takeaway that I want you to have with this is that you should always be working to maintain your character because matters can devolve into sin very quickly. There's a temptation that we have in life. When we're resting, perhaps we just went through a big event in life, we just want to let ourselves slip away. We want to go into a rest state and kind of relax. Perhaps we dealt with some sort of notable task or we went through a hefty event that weighs heavily on our shoulders. And once the dust is settled, we want to let our moral compass take some time off for a while. You know, these things happen. You say, well, I had a big week, but I went to church on Sunday. Maybe I'll go home and I'll just let my moral compass take a break. But yet sin is crouching ever at the door and the species that went in the ark is the same one that's going to come out. And stories like this are why Holiness churches like the Church of the Nazarene used to have strict rules on things, even things that we knew weren't sin. And even when you go to this text, the drunkenness and nakedness, they're not explicitly dealt with as if they're sin. But there are a lot of things which position ourselves to where we're vulnerable for the things crouching at the door. And if we've read our, our Bibles well, what is crouching at the door wanting to consume us, Anthony? Sin. Sin, yes. Sin is crouching at the door. It is a predatory thing. And even if one is entirely sanctified, you know, we talk about Christian holiness, it doesn't matter. You still have to be aware of it because there's a whole deal. The carnal nature, while you may be entirely sanctified, don't think that backsliding is not something you can get into. If you let your guard down, if you quit the pursuit, if you, you quit being somebody who is interested in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if you just forget all of that, you become petrified and you let your guard down, well, we do know that backsliding is a thing. And this story reminds us that we must keep up our character even after something big has happened in life. Now, Noah had just made it through the flood. He was a hero for all his family to see. And a lot of people look at Noah as one of the archetypal heroes of the Bible. You go to a lot of nurseries, you'll find a painting of Noah's Ark on the wall. Though, thankfully, this is not one of the scenes that you see depicted. It is not one that should be depicted. And we pray to God that we do not have to see many depictions of this. Someone might say that Noah, after being on the ark, that was his peak. You know, that's why we paint that on the wall. He kind of peaked out on the ark, his worldly significance in there. So shouldn't he be able to take a break from all this righteous walking for a while? Someone might make that case. But the answer is no. The God that called Noah to get on the ark is the God that cares about Noah's morality. And he cares about ours as well. What this family does after the flood is very important, just as beforehand, when the whole world was wrought with sin, God looked at this family, they, he looked particularly at the man Noah and said, this man is righteous. Just because he's made it to the other side of the flood doesn't mean he lets things just fall down. And one of the things we learn from this is that something can start off as a minor mishap that may not be explicitly sin itself, but then it turns into a great conflict that is sinful. And right here, we see this minor mishap turn into a massive family conflict that splits loved ones apart for generations. Now, as I said a few moments ago, Noah had completed the shining achievement for, his, for what many people would say is life. He went through the flood. But he allowed himself afterwards to let his body and his moral integrity rest. And that's really a bit of a problem. And many times in life, that's kind of how we look at the world. We look at things through worldly standards and say, well, the worldly significance you have is at some peak, is it not? 
Is it not when you're, you're the head of some large organization or perhaps when you're young and you're in your prime or perhaps those moments you get in high school where you have those really great pictures made of you before you graduate? We kind of want to take and, and model ourselves after that pinnacle moment. But the truth of it is, is God cares about our lives no matter where we're at. Things like that, looking like you did in your high school yearbook, they don't matter to the course of eternity. God cares about your soul and cares about your heart, and that doesn't require any particular place in life. You don't have to be the greatest royal member that there ever was, or you don't have to be the lowest peasant that there ever was. God cares about your heart all the same. So one of the things we find is that Noah has a vineyard, and vineyards, they've been associated with those who are blessed. Noah and his family, and again, they just went through the ark, so you think they would deserve a time of blessing. But without careful restraint, the blessing of a vineyard is abused and division roots itself deep within the family. And this is a temptation that many of us have. Once we have found ourselves to go through a difficult moment, we've got a few things blessing us in life, and we say, well, we'll just let ourselves indulge in a few of life's tempting pleasures. Moreover, we say, well, it's not really sin to do this, so why don't we just go ahead and indulge in it a little bit? We decide to ourselves that maybe for a while we won't be purely bent towards holiness and towards the sanctifying power of God, but perhaps we can just let our character be bent just a touch towards sin. This slight decision is something which can have lasting ramifications far down the road. Noah willingly puts himself in a position to do something that does harm his family. And while he doesn't know that it's going to in the front, it's something which certainly could, and he would have known that going into this. He lets his character down, and he overreacts to a very embarrassing situation. As I said earlier, there's overreactions, underreactions, and we're going to get to all of that. Noah put himself in a position that would put his family in a moral dilemma. Two of which of his family members, two of his sons, they devise a creative solution to help their father, but one of them underreacts to this and ends up with a curse on his bloodline. Character is what you do no matter the time. Anthony, and I'm sure at some point in time you've heard the statement, character is what you do when no one is watching. I hear people give a bit of a rebuttal to that and say, no, character is what you do when someone is watching. But you read this and you kind of get the answer, well, maybe character is just what you do no matter the time. What are your thoughts on that, Anthony? I absolutely agree. I think there are times definitely whenever um, it is easier to do certain things or maybe you could be more easily tempted when there aren't people around. And also there are people who could be more easily tempted when there are people around. So it is definitely about what you do and who you choose to be. Yeah. Noah kind of puts himself, he says, you know, there's no one around me. I can strip my clothes off. I can do whatever I want. He kind of thinks no one is watching, but then he finds out people are watching. Whenever your character is down, you can create scenarios that scar other people. So let's talk a little bit about the drunkenness and nakedness. Now these are things which are not addressed directly by the text, but they are certainly not ignored by it either. The scripture itself does very little to judge the drunkenness. However, it clearly instructs us that this drunken state has opened up Noah and his family to a variety of sufferings. Shame, family conflict, and even curses are product of Noah's condition. The nakedness itself, it too, like the drunkenness, it is not explicitly dealt with as if it is sin. However, it does position Noah to where he is vulnerable, and it opens up he and his family to a situation that they fall into sin. Now, often people think of Noah as being someone who is similar to Adam, 
in the fact that Noah is going to be an ancestor to all people. But there is some differences here. While both did have a moment of shame while they were naked, Adam felt the shame because he realized he was inadequate to go through the world unclothed, whereas Noah strips the clothes off of himself and makes himself unable to deal with the world. And again, all of this position happened by letting his guard down and letting him fall into something which wasn't necessarily sin to start with, but it did position himself towards that. It, it bent itself in that direction. There are things which bend ourselves in one way versus another, and something which causes you to lose control of your character. That opens up one for sin. In the Church of the Nazarene, we have a tendency to approach alcohol different than other branches of Christianity. And it is stories like this one that give us the reason of why. Both within Scripture and outside of Scripture, we can think of a lot of accounts where people do things they shouldn't have done while they were drunk. Again, the alcohol itself was not sinful, but anything that lowers our control over our actions is going to lower our guard against sin. And that is exactly what happens in the story. So, as we get towards the, the end of this and we kind of wrap things up and we want to have something positive to take away from this, we don't just want to come to a story where Noah gets drunk, he tears off his clothes, one of his sons come in, they look at him and they go out and they kind of gossip a little bit to the others and the others come in and clothe him and Noah comes out and overreacts by cursing the one son and blessing the others. We do want to have a positive takeaway from this. So here's really where I want our minds to be going. Make sure you have control over your character so that you can appropriately react to the situations of life. Don't overreact, but also don't underreact. A lot of unfortunate situations in life are caused by people either overreacting to something, so they take something way too far, or maybe they underreact, they don't do enough. Anthony? I think um, in a lot of ways this is sort of just one of those... Uh, complicated situations whenever it comes to the uh tragedy and sin in the world um a lot of times they can make it so that you know either party could have been right or wrong you know and it's just because that's just how bad of a situation it is this isn't the worst situation ever but it definitely gets escalated and i think there is a lot to look into in regards to shem's underreaction or rather ham's underreaction and then Noah's overreaction because I believe where Ham messed up was not just seeing the nakedness of his father, but then going and telling his brothers and not doing anything about it. Yeah. And then his brothers were the ones to handle the problem. And whenever we see nakedness in the Garden of Eden, a lot of times we can interpret that to be the the vulnerability of humanity. Humanity has partaken of the fruit of good and evil, and they've realized that they are not capable whatsoever to handle the world as it is and so they put on clothes to protect themselves and god later blesses them with better clothes but the nakedness can be seen as awareness of vulnerability yeah with adam and eve it's a moment of awakening when they figure out they're naked and they have shame they, they have an awakened moment they become more self-aware they say oh, oh my goodness i'm not prepared to deal with the world around me they, they're actually able to examine themselves with a matter of reasoning that they didn't have before they are awakened however noah in a sense he is falling asleep he is taking a lot of the self-awareness he had and throwing it out the window he's just discarding it completely anthony i think with noah um there's actually a lot symbolic in what Ham has noticed. Ham has noticed 
a flaw in Noah. Noah, he's pretty, you know, he says, it says that, he, that he's a man of the soil. And one of the first things he does is, you know, use his skills to be able to produce a vineyard. And what's he do with the vineyard? To get drunk. And so that that was probably a motive behind that the entire time. You know, you get something like a dog. You're like, yeah, I'm going to train him to do all sorts of things. You get you have plans in life that you set up. Noah's plan, a small part of that plan in life, included, hey, after the ark lands, I'm going to plant a vineyard. And, you know, I'm going to get drunk again. All right. And so um, all the, Ham, he realizes this weakness, this vulnerability of his father. And he tells his brothers. And that's actually a huge issue. Because what Ham does, he doesn't do anything about the weakness or help out his father in any way. He tells his brothers, he's like, hey, our father's a bit of a drunk and he's passed out naked, you know? And the brothers, they say, okay, well, we're going to do something about this. We're going to cover him up and take care of him. And so that's how they're bringing blessings to the situation. Now, did Noah certainly overreact later on? I would say most definitely. But I think that is an interesting perspective to take whenever looking at this story is... Um, nakedness and vulnerability and the drunkenness that caused that all right so before we talk about the actual sin committed by the brother that that goes and tells other brothers we, we got to figure out what in the world does anthony talk about like one gets a dog because they have some like master plan you sound like a super villain over there <laughs> or one of these athletes that like breeds dogs to go out and have like dog fighting and stuff that's on the news like anthony's like you know he had this vineyard he had a plan all along he was like yeah i'm gonna plant the vineyard and the soil. I'm going to have all this stuff. I'm going to make some wine. I'm going to get drunk. I've got a long thought up plan. And it's just like, that's kind of like what you do with dogs. Like what, what nefarious plot do you have over there where dogs are the starting point? Cause I like dogs. We, we're going to have to answer. I for hate this. to get caught up on the dog thing, but I'm not going to lie, man. Whenever I get a pet, I'm like, Oh yeah, we're going to go. We're going to take this, like the full nine yards. This what is, what be is the best the, pet ever? What is the know, ninth yard? What, what, what is your like grand scheme? Like take over the world with dogs? Not necessarily. Well, that actually probably wouldn't be too bad. I do love dogs. But anyways, back to this. You read this text and you're like, surely some scholars figured out there's got to be something more that Ham did than just see his father naked. You know, it's it's bad. It's embarrassing, surely. Um, I always joke that not even my dogs see me without clothes. I wear a three-piece suit to bed. But at the same time, if someone sees you without your clothes on, yeah, it's embarrassing, but it doesn't rise to the occasion of cursing your own bloodline for generations indefinitely. It feels like there's got to be some other piece of evidence here that we're missing. But again, there really is no consensus on what that could be. Scholars look at this, even just basic everyday people. As we sit down and we read this, we're like, well, there's got to be something else there. We really don't see it. It looks like it's just a situation where an overreaction that happened and things got worse and worse and worse. Anthony? And definitely what sort of exaggerates this is that the curse isn't just placed on Ham, but placed on his son. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think there's a lot of that in the Bible. Uh, I think there's a huge lesson that can be learned from that is not necessarily that God punishes the generations, but that the consequences of your actions will be felt for generations. And and people are willing to punish other people for generations. That's another thing. Like people people can be really vicious. Like we think of, of Noah, and I don't want to spend just so much time beating up on Noah. He's he's a very interesting character, but like you get to this part of it and you're like, My goodness. Things got a little <laughs> out of hand there, didn't they? Your facial expression actually catch captures the reaction. Yeah, that's that's the reasonable like, reaction is. Oh, well let's talk about Ham because he has an underreaction as well. As Anthony said Everyone in this story had a potential to be both guilty and, and innocent of things. They could have been embarrassed, but not really, you know, guilty of a terrible thing. 
The brother that goes in there, he saw his father. He didn't do anything to help his exposed condition. Rather than doing anything to improve it, he just goes out and tells the others. You can interpret that a lot of ways, but even the most extreme interpretation of that does not merit cursing for generations. Um, it's just kind of how it is. But again, the species that goes into the Ark is the same species that comes out, and whenever people, they let their guard down, well, sin and evil and wickedness, it comes after their heart, and it wants to convict them to do evil and wickedness rather than the holiness which God would command us to do. So that takes us to the point that we are reminded that God does care greatly for your personal morality. And it's important to keep up your character even when you desire to relax. Maybe you're at home, maybe it's Sunday evening, and you say, well, I did my, my good moral teaching for the week. I, I went to church. You know, I learned things. Maybe I'm a preacher. Maybe I preached. Maybe I'm a Sunday school teacher. Maybe I taught something. Maybe I'm just a good lay person that is a really good role model for all those others in the church. And you say, I've done my good thing. I can go home and relax a little bit. Maybe I can indulge in a little something that I shouldn't. I can let myself slip up for a little while because no one's watching. Well, let me tell you, people are watching. God is watching. There are things watching. No matter where you are at in life, God cares about your personal morality. And that's a big distinction from the God who spoke creation into the universe and all the little phony pagan gods that filter their way around the world. Throughout the story of Noah, we see that God is greatly concerned with the thoughts of humanity. The flood that ushered in and, you know, kind of swall, swelled up and swallowed the world, it was ushered in by an era of humans that were so depraved that they could not ponder anything other than sin. Now, when we go to other ancient cultures around the world, there are other gods that other people worshipped, but none of them really cared about people's personal morality. As long as you did whatever was necessary to please them on occasion, they were fine. However, the one true God that spoke creation into existence does care about you. It doesn't matter whether you are royalty or the lowest peasant on this earth. God cares the same about your heart. Ultimately, it is the condition of your soul that will matter, and it is the only thing that will matter in the course of eternity. Thus, it is something to behold that the God who spoke creation into place would care about your transformation. We must be people transformed into holiness, not people who kind of put that on the back burner for a while. God is holy and he expects humanity to be holy. God is holy all the time and thus we should as well all the time be concerned with holiness. Any final thoughts, Anthony, before we close? Nope. All right. With that, we hope you enjoyed this. God love you and have a blessed day.